Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there. And if you tell your opponent, what do I use on my racket? I use the Mega Tack. You're going to be attacking with that Mega Tack from start to finish. If you've seen anything we do at Cracked Rackets, you know I'm a hairy guy. As you can imagine, I sweat when I play. The only grip that works for me is the Turn of Tennis grip. Of course, the Mega Tack taking things to the next level. How can you get yourself hooked up with a Turn of Grip today? It's simple. You're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods. Or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turna. Once you use a Turna Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we're going to do a deep dive into all things SEC tennis. want to break down where things stand for all of these SEC teams as we hit the midway point in the 2022 college tennis season. Of course, hopefully, all of you listeners are tuning into our SEC broadcast every Friday. We cover the action at starting with the first match on the day. We carry through all the way to the last match this Friday. That means our, means our action kicks off at noon Eastern time. Our last match going on court at 7 p.m. Eastern time means we're guaranteed to have at least nine hours of college tennis for all of you. And of course, for those of you who do want to tune in, you're enticed. You want to get in on the college tennis bandwagon. Rest assured, we got room for you. You can find those broadcasts every Friday on each of the team websites. Again, we're starting at noon Eastern time here this Friday. You can find the schedule and the matches we'll be featuring on all of our Crack Racket social media platforms, of course. With that said, on this show, want to talk about where things stand in terms of the race for the postseason. Which of these SEC teams have positioned themselves to be top eight seeds and host not only the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, but perhaps that Sweet 16 Super Regional match as well. Of course, we want to talk about the teams in the top 16 hunt, teams in the NCAA hunt. Who has impressed? Who are the individuals that have stood out? We'll cover all that on both the men's and women's sides on this show. And if you're going to be talking 
about the SEC and all things college tennis. There is truly just one man you can turn to to help you steer the ship on the show like this. He's the man who joined me in our inaugural episode. He's joining me here today. He joins me far too frequently. I don't think either of us like each other at this point. It's just a parasitic relationship. We've latched on to one another. It is what it is. We need each other for survival, of course. You know him best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford. He's got a bum shoulder. That's why he's post-prime Greg Maddox. Nevertheless, he's also our friend. Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. It's been a full hour and a half since we wrapped our Deciding Point episode. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Let's be clear. There's only one parasite in this relationship, and that's you. <laughs> I tell that to Westoff every day. I tell that to my parents for 26 years now. Yeah, I'm the Alex the Parasite Gruskin. Now I'll start going by that at Parasite on Twitter when I change it for the third time. You know what's funny is that we recorded a show, again, our episode of The Deciding Point, breaking down all things in the men's college tennis world, which you can find on the Great Shot podcast feed or live on our YouTube channel or I suppose now not live, but recorded on our YouTube channel. In between the hour and a half that we last spoke, there's actually been a significant result that finished. Like that is the college tennis world in a nutshell. It's a Thursday and we've got a significant result that we'll be able to touch on here on this show as Kentucky men knocked off at home by Virginia. Virginia drops the doubles point, but extraordinarily impressive 4-2 victory. That includes wins from uh, Ryan Gatsbar. Bots are at the four and five spots in straight sets. Three set wins from Chris Rodesha at two. Jeffrey von der Schulenberg at three. Let's just start this show with that result since obviously we didn't have the chance to talk about it on the deciding point. From the Virginia perspective, obviously this is the win they've been looking for all season. And now they get it back to back. And we talked about them so extensively on the deciding point that we don't have to do the Virginia component of this match uh, because obviously this is an SEC-centric show. On the Kentucky side... Man, was this a big opportunity for them to just solidify a spot and solidify their contention, not as a top 16 seed, because they're going to be a top 16 seed at the NCAA tournament, but to solidify their spot in the race for the top eight, because you look for this Kentucky men's tennis team, again, they were a, they're were they a perennial top 16 team, and I don't think that's going to be an issue for them. And you look at the what-if calculator offered by the College Tennis Ranks website, which of course we are all in the College Tennis Universe immensely grateful for, Chris. I don't think this result is implemented yet. They were projected 12 in this week's rankings. They, you know, 12 and 4 overall, you look for this Kentucky team and the schedule, the wins they've accumulated here on the season. Again, it's been, or excuse me, 15 and 5 overall on the season. You look for them, they've gotten, you know, good wins over USC, a good win at Duke, good wins over Auburn, over Arkansas, over AM. And yeah, they've escaped with some 4 3 wins, but they've beaten everyone they're supposed to beat from that number 12 ranking perspective. At the same time, they dropped their match against Florida 4-3. Boy, were they close to winning that one in Lexington. 4-3 loss against Baylor at the indoors. Boy, were they close to winning that one. You know, they dropped 4-0 at Columbus, uh, in Columbus to Ohio State. Everyone does that. 4-1 to South Carolina at the indoors. Fine, but they got their shot at South Carolina on Sunday to avenge that match. Here's the thing for Kentucky. Still have Georgia on the schedule. Still have Tennessee in the schedule. They're not out of the top eight race, are they? 
No, they're sitting, I mean, as you mentioned, they're 12 right now. Even with the loss to Virginia, they're still projected 12 uh, for next week. It, that, that loss doesn't really doesn't really hurt them. And yeah, they're, the, they're kind of that one school in that top five grouping of the SEC that's still got a, many of their remaining matches against the others left. Every, you know, like Florida's done. They, yeah, they've played everybody. Kentucky still has them all out there, so they've got an opportunity and I think that that South Carolina match is going to be big because when they played uh, at indoors, right, Draxel was gone. Yes. No Draxel. So, uh, you know, so in, in their own minds, you know, they're probably thinking, hey, that's not that wasn't us. We're going to get our real team out there and and go to war. So. So, yeah, that that's a big match. But, yeah, that that upcoming schedule for Kentucky uh, is a big one. They're not they're definitely not out of that top eight conversation. It is. Uh, gonna, I mean, it's a bit of a of a jump right now. They're going to need a couple good wins. So, uh, to with get up that in, that in mind, I'm going to ask you to play professor for us here. Get the what if calculator going. Do they need to beat all three of at South Carolina, Tennessee at home, and Georgia at home to end up as a top eight seed? Now, obviously, they've got the SEC conference tournament coming up, and hypothetically, they get a shot at two of the other top five, right? Maybe even three of the other top five if they end up as a four or five seed uh, on their way to a championship, which at that point they would almost assuredly need. And hey, if they earn quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, three wins over the top five SEC teams, they will be back in the hunt for a top eight seed. But that is obviously an extreme hypothetical. I'm curious, does two and one do the job here? Is one and two good enough? You f- I feel like two and one maybe, but three and oh for sure. Oh, three and oh for sure. I think two and one pending what they do in the SEC t- tournament is okay. is probably gets them there because if you punch it, even with today's loss, if you just give them a win at South Carolina this weekend, that puts them right now at nine. Okay. So so you got to believe, you know, splitting the other two, they're certainly top eight uh, at that point. And then it's kind of up to what happens in the SEC tournament. So, yeah, I think that's the that's the key for them is two and one here. No bad losses in the SEC. And then you just kind of play the waiting game. And maybe maybe you need to make the finals. I mean, like we said, there's a grouping of five. So some one of those fives getting left out of even the semis. I think you probably have to make semis. And then the question is, do you have to win the semi match to make it to the finals of the SEC tournament or not? That 4-5 match is going to be so heated, whether it's Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, or Tennessee, who I think are all still in play. And again, all three of those teams, as you mentioned, everyone else has played everyone else. But those three teams still all have to play Kentucky, and two of them are in Lexington. So, look, Kentucky goes 2-1. and one. Now you do have a you only have to you only get to play two of them I suppose but you're likely to get a shot at two of them semifinals and then if you win finals certainly you'll likely play one of them on the flip side well maybe not with how deep this SEC conference is and we'll get into that on the show you know on the flip side for this Kentucky team and we talked about this on our deciding point episode we haven't crossed them off in terms of conversation for the national championship we do have them as our consensus, myself, you, Matt, I'll speak for all three of us, slightly higher than a South Carolina, slightly higher than a Georgia. And you look at this team and the losses that they've taken, and I'm going to throw out the South Carolina loss without Draxel because at that point, that's not the Kentucky team we're going to see at their best. If they don't have Draxel, they're not winning anything. I'll do, I mean, they'll be fine, but they're not winning a national championship. You look for them against Florida. Draxel plays a three-set match against Shelton. 
Duarte goes three sets against Diallo. Uh, excuse me, Diallo wins in three sets against Duarte. Musitelli beats Andrade in straights. Lapidot beats Gujar in straights. So again, yes, Riffis beats Hurrian in straights, but Riffis right now is beating everyone in straight sets. No shame in that. You look in their loss against Kentucky. You know, again, that was a match they also played without Draxel, and yet... Lapidot gets a win at four. Musatelli gets a win at three. You know, uh, Zemmel's there three sets at six. Mercer loses in five, but they get a three-set match at six. Now, again, I'm going to throw out the Ohio State match as well because Ohio State was blitzing everyone, and, you know, again, it's early in the season. I just feel like this Kentucky team has the pieces from a singles perspective where they can certainly find three against anyone. And you can even say, you know, there are some borderline locks in the lineup. If Diallo's playing at three, I know he lost in three sets tonight to Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, but those are probably your two best three singles players in the country. And this Kentucky team is 15 and two overall at the number three single spot. You know, they're 12 and 3 at 4. Lapidot's been lights out. He's 12 and 4 overall. Lapidot, uh, excuse me, uh, that's Musatelli's 12 and 4 overall. Lapidot, 13 and 2. Now, they are 4 and 10 at the six singles position. And they are 29 and 19, which is good, not great. And I think the 9 and 6, 9 and 8, 11 and 5 records in doubles more indicative of the struggles they've had across the board. They're definitely not a sure thing in doubles. They're not a sure thing at six singles, and you feel like they're probably a little bit vulnerable there, although I still think on the right day, Zemmel or Mercer are going to give someone a fight. That's why, to me, is they're in the national championship conversation still, is because five of the seven points, I still feel really good about if I'm a Kentucky fan. Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting is Kentucky always plays pretty well on their home courts indoors. Yeah. I actually kind of think would have been more advantageous for them today to be outdoors with sure. Virginia because Virginia is good indoors. And like you said, Kentucky doesn't really have, they don't have an answer anywhere necessarily at six indoors. Mercer is really probably their best option. It's just not a great option. I actually like thinking longer term. I like Yasha Zamel at six outdoors for them. I think that may be the play coming NCAAs, and and maybe that gives them a, a little better shot. But uh, they're like you said, the top five, super solid. And look, Diallo's just he's he's had like what three? His first match back was A and M, and then he had last weekend. So yeah, coming and out to of go the, three the, with Von der Schulenberg, that's a great result. Given yeah, the injuries, I mean. It's yeah. I don't think and the interesting thing with him is I've seen him several times, both indoors and outdoors at Kentucky. And as much as you know, big guy, big serve, big forehand, you think, oh, definitely wants to be indoors. I see him play better outdoors than I do indoors, yeah. at, which is really, really strange. But and but yeah, it's one of definitely... my favorite theories in practice, which you introduced, which is you know, Hurrian is just as likely to win at two as he is to lose at three. That's why you play Diallo at three, because you feel like Diallo at three is a lock, and that's this principle in action. I just, and Draxel's rounding into form as well. Like, he's still not playing his best, and he's still going three sets with everyone, which is part of the game for him, but he's playing better. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and he, and you know he's in every match, and yeah. when it comes down to it, it's, that's, I mean, if, if they're going to win a title, right, he has to win. They're not yeah. going to, you know, they're not going to run through. He's got to go 4-0 uh, and be your most outstanding player of the tournament. Yeah, they're not going to run through NCAAs without him winning. Yeah. Uh, and they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to find 
doubles, which they they're getting they're they're starting to win doubles points now, right? I mean, Lapinot and Mercer are good. Yeah, and I took a point off Virginia today, which is not a bad, you know, that's not like, yeah, I look at, like, say, Florida, and they actually lost the doubles point to Florida. But you look at a Florida who's kind of, eh, if wishy-washy on dubs, and you go, eh, if they, if they don't win a, if they can win a dubs point there, that's not great. Winning a doubles point off Virginia is a good thing for them. That's starting to come around. I think, yeah, it's a matter of that, of, of getting Diallo completely yeah. healthy, finding who that sixth guy is outdoors, and they're very dangerous. Well, what I was going to say is Lapidot and Mercer are legit good, and they lose today, and they still win the doubles point. And Hurion and Musatelli, 6-4 win at one. I, I like just to have the two fifth years at that position. That's a lot of experience there. And, you know, I'm going to ask this to coaches when I speak with them next. I think in terms of teaching doubles to college tennis players, it's more about teaching them the energy than anything from a technique standpoint. You just need to be on it from the start. If you take your foot off the gas for a second, you get broken in a no-ad set. And if you get broken in a no-ad set in doubles, you're probably losing the set. And those guys know the energy. They know the rhythm. Give me Draxel and anyone, but whether it's LeBlanc, whether the fact that Diallo's still not playing doubles. He was a f***ing All-American in singles and doubles last season. Like, Isn't it nice to not be live and we can swear again? Isn't that fun? <laughs> um, but I like that's my thing is I agree. I still have hope in doubles somehow. Cedric's going to hear that and be like, thank you, Alex. And Peter and Matt are going to be like, thank you. Like you shouldn't have any hope in our doubles right now, but thank you for doing so. There's a lot of pieces that make sense there. And I think Lapidot and Mercer push comes to shove. Like, I feel comfortable with them at a two-doubles spot. And then between Hurion, Musatelli, Draxel, the serve in LeBlanc, the Diallo if he's healthy. Like, I just, there are pieces there. I know we're nearing the end of the season, but it's gauntlet time. South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia. Three of them, uh, two of the three at home. I want, if they don't go two and one or better, we're crossing them off. We agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so because it, I, that, that South Carolina match, which is the, which is the road match of the three, is going is that to be a, Can we it's, uncross South Carolina and make that a winner? Uh, loser leaves town. Like loser of that one, we cross off. Winner, congratulations, you're not a cross off. I think that should be a loser leaves town. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah, for in sure, your mind, South it, Carolina's already left town. Yeah, exactly. I, I've <laughs> yeah. already crossed them off, but if they manage... They call the Uber. Then yeah. How about this? We'll then say yeah. they've called the Uber and it's circling and Kentucky can help them into the car. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I hate to do it because I love those guys and I love yeah. Coach Goffey, but yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, frankly, they're they're just still a year away yeah. uh, But in, in my mind. And they've been, you know, they just, they need a little more depth. They've got to get those guys a little more mature. They've got to find something at five and six. I think next year, Casey Houle's in that lineup for them and yeah, they're, they're just not quite there. And this is long enough on Kentucky. The last thought would also be, you talk about South Carolina being one year away. Kentucky's year is now. You never know if Draxel's going to stay or go pro and, you know, Lapidot, uh, not Lapidot, uh, Hurion and Musatelli are gone after this season. And yeah, there are new guys coming in. And yeah, there's some depth there. And if you get Draxel back, sure, you're still in the hunt as always. But this is your year. You have the roster. Yeah. You have the team. Last year, you took your lumps. This year, it's quarter, you know, Sweet 16 quarterfinals or bust. You want to be at the final site in Champaign, if we're being honest, if you're a Kentucky fan this season. Yeah, well, no doubt. I mean, yeah. Kentucky this year is like what it was like North Carolina last year. It's, you know, it's... It's, it's not the you, same. It's not the same. Because North Carolina was literally 
this is the Blumberg window has closed. Like this is yeah. there is even well, more and they, urgency. And, and they were an even and they were an even bigger. And they won they the freaking indoors. Yeah. Yeah, better team, right? But it's but it, yeah, I just mean in that same kind of vein of hey, you're you're uh, you know, some of your two of your big four are gone and it gets young after this year and you don't even know if somebody else is coming back, which, you know, that was Rinky for North Carolina this year and he ended up not coming back here. You're kind and of in that Will, same boat. Because we never yeah. know with Will. He could always find another year of eligibility. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the first 12 times yeah, exactly. uh, all American. Might uh, as well get yeah. to 20. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, he's just waiting to, for mixed doubles to come in yeah. so he can get three in a year. But uh, yeah, I yeah, this is absolutely it's 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 now or never, right? For can tell you. it's 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 not like hey, it's going to happen next year. Next year is definitely while they can be good, will be a hey, let's get back on track, let's build for the next two years after this. Yeah, or they strike gold again in the transfer portal, and you know, which never write off over the next couple of years until all the COVID graduates are gone. With that said. That's enough on Kentucky. And so we'll leave them out of our conversation a little bit later. But of course, again, what we want to do on this show, run you through the various tiers. Who are the NCAA locks? Who are the contenders? Who are the best of the rest? What should we be looking for this weekend in conference play? Of course, before we do that, huge shout out to our friends at Turna. You see Turna Grips on just about every racket in SEC conference play. There's a reason for that. That's because Turna Grip is the best grip in the business, folks. And guess what? Our friends at Turna, they offer more than grips. There's strings. There's all the equipment you need to make things go around in the tennis world, and you can learn more about them. You can join the team. Maybe you're a college tennis coach listening to this, and you want Turner to sponsor your team moving forward. Guess what? They do that, and you can get involved with them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. I would be immensely grateful if you mentioned that Crack Racket sent you, as they'll hook you up with discounted pricing. They'll hook you up with free samples, and best of all, they'll know this partnership is worthwhile. So again, join the Turner team today contact sales at uniquesports.com with that said chris let's get into the locks right now we have and not only the ncaa women's locks but let's talk about the teams that are in competition for top eight top 16 seeds and you know john parsons our friend crack brackets contributor and i did a long opening segment on texas a&m women uh on this week's episode of the deciding point which again you can find here on your great shot podcast feed or a recording of on our youtube channel Texas A&M, right now the highest ranked team amongst the SEC women. You look in the projected rankings right now, they're number seven, 22 and one overall over Georgia, who's number nine, 11 and three overall, of course, Georgia suffered their first loss in conference play last weekend to Texas A&M, who knocked them off 7-0 in Athens. And you look for this A&M team, it was not the most rigorous non-conference schedule not their fault. You know, again, they're one, I talked about it extensively. I, I, I apologize. This will be the last time I do this. Round of 16, national indoors, three all in their match against Cal. 5-4, they're up in the third set breaker to decide things on six singles. Ball was, I think, called in. The line, ju- the chair umpire thought he, they saw a out gesture from the Cal player and confirmed the call was out. I thought the Cal player made an in gesture. Impossible to say. Only the Cal player and God will ever know the answer. That said, the line judge confirmed Cal ultimately wins the match 4-3. Now, AM goes on to beat USC and Old Dominion, and they haven't lost a match since then. And if you look at the individual stats for them, 
it's laughable. They're winning 84.2% of their singles matches, which is pretty good, right? Well, they're winning 84.8% of their double sets. Like, they're just dominating everyone. And Tatiana Makarova has clearly made a jump. She's undefeated at two singles. JC Goldsmith, the senior at four, she's lost twice. And I think they have a combined 34 wins between them. You know, the freshmen, Stoyana, Pilet, uh, Perellis, they've all been exceptional. They bring back Katya Townsend, who's healthy, and she's starting to play good tennis again. And then obviously Carson Brandstein. I mean, they just are freaking good everywhere. They're number seven right now. And they've beaten Georgia, and they've beaten Florida, and they still have, and they've beaten Tennessee, and they've still got Auburn on the schedule. And I believe that matches this weekend. I got to make sure, but I believe that matches actually this Friday on our Crack Rackets. Yeah, on our Crack Rackets uh, broadcast. So that's 6 p.m. Eastern time this Friday. You look right now at the seeds, and again, I want to get into Auburn momentarily because they're very much in the mix as well. But Auburn right now at number 11, or 9 in the current rankings, projected 11 at 16 and 2. Georgia, number 9 in the current, uh, 10 in the current rankings, projected 9. A lot of that on the strength of their Ohio State win. Florida right now is 16, but they're projected 14, 14 and 4 overall. Let's look at these four teams because they're the ones in the top 16 right now. A, is this the only group? that can all host regionals, and B, how many, if any, of these groups should we expect to see in the top eight? Yeah, I don't think anybody outside of those four is making it into the top 16. It's a pretty big jump after that down to the levels of, of Arkansas and Tennessee. So I think that's your that's your cut line. So Tennessee's probably four. out, right? Because as close as they played Texas A&M, they've already lost all their big, you know, to Florida, to Georgia, to, to A&M. They, they, there's just not enough left. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. They'd have to just, you know, they'd have to ha- find probably two monster wins in the SEC tournament or something. I mean, nobody's ever truly out out until sure. the conference tournament's over because they could just run, you know, if they ran the tables in the tournament, they're going to find a couple big wins and be in. But barring something majorly unexpected like that happening, yeah, they're out. And we're really down to, like you said, it's down to A&M, Georgia, Auburn, and Florida. And I don't, I mean, I don't think you're going to see more than they're all borderline. Even A&M at this point at, at seven is, you know, they're very close to that cut. And and Georgia projected as the first team out at, at nine. It's tough to think you're going to get more than two of those four in the top eight. I do think uh, that you'll probably see all four of them as top 16 hosts. Uh, and the, you know, Florida being the the iffy question mark if they don't finish, you know, too terribly strong, they could drop out. But but I think for sure AM, Georgia, and Auburn should finish with uh, with top sixteen positions and probably Florida too. I think A and M uh look I mean, obviously they're looking really good. The only match they have left prior to the SEC tournament that should be of any question to them is the Auburn match. Everything else uh, is is a match they should absolutely win, no question. Well, you look for the A&M team again. They've already beaten Florida. They've already beaten Tennessee at Tennessee. They've already beaten Georgia. They've got Auburn at home. That's left of these big five schools. The one you have to look at is Auburn, who again yep. has done just, Caroline Lilly has his team firing on all cylinders. They're 16 and two overall. They're only two losses coming at the national indoors, 4-2 to NC State, 4-3 in their third match to Ohio State, a match they had no, that was highway robbery for Ohio State to ultimately win that match. I was there, I was on the call. I'm telling you, it was. 
You look for this team, they got the win over Washington at the National Indoors. They banked a good win over UCF, a, na- a win that is appreciated well uh, in the kickoff weekend. And then they're undefeated here. They've just taken care of business. Everyone they're supposed to beat, they've beaten. And sure, there have been some close score lines, 4-3 against Vandy and at Ole Miss, but you know, 6-1 over Arkansas. 6-1 over a Kentucky team at the time that was 12-1 overall on the season. And, you know, again, they're undefeated in conference play. But here's why, to me, they're probably the one with the best case, excluding the conference tournament. They've got yeah. at Texas A&M, at Florida, Tennessee at home, Georgia at home. And honestly, at South Carolina is a win that will that's appreciating in value if they get it. At LSU is a really freaking good team now. Like, they're finally healthy. They're finally playing six players in their lineup, and those six are damn good. So that's a lot harder of a match than it will be from a rankings win value perspective. That's a... F- I'll do it again. That's a f- gauntlet down the home stretch for Auburn. Like, it's not up or shut up time. We're about to see how good this Auburn team really is. And that is why, to me, if they take care of business, even if they go, you know, they can drop one match in that stretch. But if they win their home matches and, you know, get a win over a Georgia or, you know, again, I, I think f- probably four and one does the trick. Well, it's, it's six matches. Three and yeah. three will do it. I mean. For top eight. No, I'm saying top eight. I'm saying top eight. Okay, yeah, top top eight. They're gonna, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sixteen. They just need to. Yeah, I think. No, I, think I agree with you. Three and three for top sixteen. I'm saying for a top eight push, this team has a top eight pathway still on its calendar. Oh, absolutely, because those are huge. Like you said, the, I mean, the A and M match, the Florida match, the Georgia match are monstrous, and then the Tennessee, LSU, and South Carolina matches aren't small either. I mean, every single one of those is a point gathering win that they that they would use so so you know their their performance pending they have a pathway for sure even before the sec tournament and yeah if they go if they go four and two in those matches uh that means i mean getting four of them means they have to beat at least one of the what i would call the big three in in a and m georgia and uh and florida mm-hmm. that's that's probably got them right there bubble when you combine those other wins they're going to be sitting right in that seven eight nine range by doing that so so yeah they they definitely have the the pathway to control their own destiny for sure yeah and look for this auburn team you know selena Vunk is six and eight over on the year at one but on the right day she can beat anyone and she's in the fight but you look beyond that carolyn ansari's 12 and one at the three single spot 14 two overall she's been exceptional Senior Yu Chen at six singles, who she was a top three in the play, in the lineup last season. She's eleven and two at six, fifteen and two overall in the year. She's been ridiculous. Fifth, fifth year Georgie Axon, thirteen and four overall in the season. Transfer Ariana Arsenault, twelve and four on the season. You know this team can win a bunch of different ways. They're just good everywhere. Like in my opinion, and I apologize. I know this is poor framing. And by the way, they're thirty-two and ten overall in individual double sets. They're Texas A&M 0.85. Like, I think Texas A&M has a little more flash. I like the Makarova point, the Goldsmith point, more than I like the Ansari and Chen points, which are probably the locks you see for both in singles. I like the Texas A&M doubles just a little bit more. The flash of Goldsmith and Makarova at one, and Branstein and Stoyana have been so good at two. And even though they're still finding out who's at three, I just think there's a lot of pop there and they've still been very competitive even while switching around teams 
That's why this matchup on Friday is everything. Because A, it's at A&M. So they're the favorites, no doubt about it. And they can put this SEC conference away and come pretty close to locking up a top eight spot with this win over Auburn. At the same time, if Auburn gets this win, now they're your favorites in the SEC. And they've got the Georgia match at home. Yeah, I, I still I don't know if I'd even even with what they've got left, I'm not sure I'd make them the favorite. But A A and M, I mean, yeah, well, let's let's wait and see how that plays out. A and M sure. has to be the favorite at this point. I, I mean, agree they, completely. Yeah, yeah, they get this match at home. They absolutely should. You know, you're counting on. I mean, I'm not saying should win like you know like it's a top ten playing a number forty team. It's going to be a good match, but. But yeah, A and M should is a is a distinct favorite at home in this match, and you would expect them to win. And if that happens, clearly, I mean, basically the conference is theirs. They shouldn't lose anything after that. They're yeah. they're done. Auburn's got to win that match, and then they still have to play Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, LSU. Yeah, let me also say this: Georgia is as good as Texas A and M. Don't let that seven zero win fool uh, fool you. Four of the matches go three sets and singles. Georgia's freshman, Riasco, who's at two, Villanova at three. That was their first exposure to that sort of top 10 at-home pressures on conference match. It's not a shock that they lost it. They were the freshmen taking on this. You know, the three singles matchup is what it is, because I believe that's freshman on freshman, Stoyana versus Villanova. But for Makarova to beat Riasco, like, that's not a shocking result. I just think this Georgia team, Villanova is as impressive as any freshman I've seen in quite a bit of time on the women's side. Um, and, like She's just so good, and Riasco's playing above her because she's just a rock at two, and Leah Ma is always the... Leah Ma... Who used to be the guy? I forget. We used to talk about it. Who you'd be like, this guy sucks. Oh, it's uh, Dominic Starry, who like you watch him play, and you're like, how's this guy... Yeah, you're like, how's this guy good? And then he's just freaking unbelievable, and you're like, oh my God. That's Leah Ma, who you're like, oh, she doesn't look. And then you're like, wait, did she just win that two and two? Like, she's just freaking good. Um, And then obviously the experience they have in Kopik and Kowalski. That's just like them at four and five. I'll take that duo in that pairing over anyone, you know, as as well as anyone. Give me North Carolina above them. But I'll take, you know, this Georgia pairing you still feel pretty good about. And then... Hurdle's proven herself at six. Like, she's a viable option. She can compete as well with anyone. And that's why I want to see her play Yu Chen. I think that's going to be a really fun match. Georgia's freaking good. Like, I think those... So I think if I was to go by tiers, I would say tier one is Texas A&M and Georgia. Tier one B... Well, tier one A is Texas A&M. Tier two... uh, Tier one B is Georgia and Auburn pending this match this weekend. I want to see how they compete. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I think Florida is a bit of a tier below these three teams. Like I know Florida right now, projection-wise, they're you know they're sitting at what, 14 in the projected rankings. They're the fourth highest-ranked team. They're 14 and four overall. And you look for them. They do get a win over Washington at the National Indoors and got a win over Old Dominion in non-conference play. Beat Tennessee at home. Got a good win over Arkansas on the road. You know they still got the Auburn match, the South Carolina match. 
But they lose to Georgia. They lose to A&M. That Auburn match is going to be fascinating. That's a match in Gainesville. I mean, and talk about a tough final weekend for Auburn. I don't know. I'm, I'm just not quite as... Like, I like Kessler at one, and I think this team's pretty good everywhere. I don't... Like, again, I don't... I wouldn't put... That's why I would feel... I'd probably go A&M one, Georgia two, Auburn three, Florida four, and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't... I, I can't definitively say I totally disagree, but I think I would... I would... Re- I would tier them slightly different. To me, I would put A&M and Georgia together as the tier one. Okay, I agree I with Auburn, you. Fair. And then I put Auburn and Florida together at tier two. I don't think Auburn's See, any can we put Auburn one and a half? Because what if they beat A&M? Like, I, I'm not I, – I think the jury's still out on Auburn. Like, how can it not be? Well, the jury's out because they haven't they haven't run the they haven't run all the big teams yeah. But their yet. losses think, are four three to an Ohio State team that's top eight and four two to an NC State team that's top three. No, I, I can't argue it. I'm just gonna I'm just saying. But they still have to play a And M. They still have to play Georgia. They still are have to they play Florida. the men's Virgi- uh, women's Virginia? Well. Except Virginia played them all and lost. They haven't even played them yet, right? I mean, I I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that by the time we get through it, that may be the case. The problem is those losses won't be top five teams at that point because, you know, if it if they do lose to Florida, Florida is not a top five team, Uh, so it'll be slightly worse. I just I think, I mean, if you ask me to pick today, if you ask me to pick Auburn at Gainesville. I'm going to take the Gators in Gainesville. So yeah. I can't I can't really uh, in my own head say Auburn for sure is in a tier above. I think those two are at the same tier and they're a, they're a tier below A&M in Georgia. Florida's just mixed things around a lot and it's, you know, between Berlin and between Shelton and just they they haven't quite found their six yet the way Auburn has. That's why I would have them a bit below. Auburn knows their identity. They know who's going out on court. They know the rhythm to the matches and what energy they're getting from where. Florida's just not quite there yet. And so... Yeah, well, I, and I think yeah. they're... Dude, even they're in working singles, in more right? new they, they pieces. Just, who is... Yeah, who's who's yeah. playing... Briggs and all the... Yeah, exactly. And all yeah. these different freshmen. And so... No, again, that's where things stand at the top, top of the conference on the women's side. Again, I'll say it one more time. A&M, 22-1. Let's just do this quickly. They're locked for top 16. Are they going to be top eight? Yes or no? We'll re-examine this every week. Yes. Georgia. I'll say yes. They're number nine right now. You say locked for top eight. Auburn's out of eleven. I, I say they'll make it top eight. Auburn, uh, Auburn, no. But yes for top 16? But yes for top 16, I think. I Florida, think they'll do, they'll do well enough. Florida's a no for top eight. Top 16, yes or no? Yes. All right. I like it. And they are 14 again in the latest projections. Well, with that in mind, let's stay at the top. We're going to move over now to the men's side. And we've spent so much time talking about the top of the SEC men's conference throughout the course of our deciding points. So we're going to do this very, very quickly. I promise. Let's go through. Florida, number one, 15 and two overall. They beat Tennessee, beat South Carolina, beat Georgia, beat Kentucky. I mean, they still have got a few left on the on the calendar, but they're coasting in as the number one seed. They're a lock to be top eight at this point, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no way they don't finish top eight. Yeah, so there's your Florida discussion. Goodyear's playing better. We're outdoors again. He's starting to play better. That would be my only note, that he's like making Seymour, Goodyear, Bonetto an actual question. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, 
that's my only hesitation there is I don't know if like they're just trying to spread playing time around and they're totally comfortable with what they have or if they're searching for who five and six are at this point, right? We're seeing different combinations of guys at five and six every match, it seems like. And I honestly don't know if that's coaches looking to see who's in form or no, they know exactly what they've got and they're just they're just spreading the PT around. Don't know, but it, it doesn't matter. They're gonna be, you know, they're, they're a lock for a top eight and we'll, we'll see them in Illinois. Last two on them, are you on the hashtag bench and Drotty train? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> that was another one of my bad takes. Well, it was a take that was predicated on Bicknell still being there. Anyways, other question on Florida. Doubles? They're getting better. Riffis and Sheldon are playing well now. Like, they've got options. Yeah, I mean, they they act, you actually like them as, you know, at and, least a 50 and if to 60% up, shot. And if they're up <laughs> 1-0 on you, you're just f***ed. Like, you're just not beating them because Riffis is back. Yeah, Riffis is playing, and when, once you get to singles, Riffis is playing great. Shelton, uh, I, to me, it's more mental than any. He's the best player on the court anytime you go out in college. Anytime no he who wants you're playing. To. Yeah, and it's a and it's a matter of is the is the mind there? He'll go three sets with you because he just you know it has a brain fart and lets a set get away, and you know. And the problem with that is anything can happen, like it did with Bailey at indoors. You know, a guy gets hot, plays well you know anybody can take a set off you anytime when they play when they play their best so you yeah. just you can't let that happen but yeah he's you know Shel- between what Shelton and Riffis are looking like right now if you give them doubles and those two guys are playing like they are yeah it, it's just like last year good luck finding you know four singles matches against them we did a full thing on Tennessee on the show tonight so we won't repeat it here but we'll do this quickly they're locked for top 16 They've beaten South. Uh, they lose to South Carolina, lose to Georgia, still lose to Florida, still have Kentucky on the schedule. Top eight, yes or no? Yes. Okay. South Carolina. I man, I mean that's it's a huge match with Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, beat Kentucky, you're. I mean, I you're, you're in. You're you're going to be in that. You're going to be in that spot. But because that's two wins uh, over Kentucky. Yeah, I'm exactly. I'm. So I think if, if if they if they beat Kentucky, I will say yes. And I want to lean that they don't beat Kentucky. The problem is, unlike Kentucky, who's very questionable in doubles, South Carolina is very good in doubles. Uh, and I would expect South Carolina, you know, at home, I expect them to win the doubles point. So now we're into Kentucky having to win four singles against them. South Carolina is pr- probably favored again. Over under four five and a half in our cracked rackets preseason poll next season for South Carolina. Yeah. So every so Lambling, often I do this well. I, well, I'm trying. I'm trying to think who's gone. Lambling's got to be gone, right? Uh-huh. I don't even know. I'm not looking at. I'm not looking at the roster. Lambling's been team, like. I think everyone's was, back. I'll look. I'll look for was, you. He was there, like, I feel like almost every year that the state guys were there. Uh, so I feel like he's got to be on his COVID year this year. But I don't I, I don't know. Rodriguez probably, probably he has, has one more year. He has another Yeah, for sure. Uh, so if you give me All right, Rodriguez, Thompson, Here. Samuel, for sure. So yeah. everyone, there is not a single senior on the roster. Lambling is a junior. Okay. Everyone's back. 
So you're telling me preseason over under five and a half. Even volunteer assistant coach Oliver Crawford has another year of eligibility. Yeah, while he's playing futures right now. Let me tell you this. Um, If Crawford was on their lineup, would they win the national championship this year? Ooh. Where does Crawford play? One or two? Does he play above Rodriguez? Yes. Yeah, probably. But do you play him at two just so it's him versus Sam? But but I'll go take the All right, right now. We're doing this quickly. Crawford versus Shelton. Who do you take? Shelton. Wow. Wow. How the times have changed. I mean, on principle, I have to take Oliver, right? Because he's my guy. And so, like, if I don't, it's abandoning ship, and I would never do that on principle. But let's just say we'll go by your scoreline. So 1-0 Florida. Riffis versus Rodriguez. I mean, we saw that in the NCAA final. You're taking Rodriguez. Yeah. I'll yeah, but right. I mean, see if that match is played at one, I'll take Rodriguez. At two, give me Riffis. Just hard to continue. I mean, I don't think there's that big a difference between the guys. Riffis has got one. I'll take Rodriguez in the return. <laughs> All right, that's fine. We'll go one-one then. Um, who plays two then at that point? Who that Samuel B versus Vale? You probably have to take Samuel with right now the two form. Yeah, I mean, Vale's not, he's not winning. How about this? Now, so Samuel yeah. and Thompson, Andrade and Vale, we say it's a split, one all. Yeah. Okay. Now it's Lambling and Story versus, we'll say, Seymour and Gujar. Yeah, I'm taking Florida the rest of the way. So, yeah, you're taking Florida over them. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Oliver. That's what Chris thinks about you. Um, no, yeah. th- no. What I was gonna say is, okay, you're trying to you're trying to put Crawford on that team and ask me if they win a national championship. Just compare the team Crawford had with this Carolina team, and he couldn't do it with them. I know. Well, I, it's not. Gonna, I've told I don't this story many a times. I will never forget Dalton's wedding weekend. Not because I mean, yes, because it was an outstanding weekend, and and the nine Hannah, million and, texts. <laughs> no, and Hannah looked outstanding. His lovely wife, who has been far too kind to me since I've moved to Indianapolis, and it was a beautiful ceremony. But also because the next day, I'm sitting on that golf course Sunday, semifinal Sunday, hungover as hell, we're golfing, and I'm just irately texting you and receiving texts like, oh my God, Texas is going to beat Florida. Oh my God. And like, how did we, how did this happen, Chris? And all of our predictions ruined. And yeah, I will, no. The team I ride hardest for that didn't win is the 2020 UNC women. Because I'm telling you, they would have won the national championship and it might've been a 4-0 final. Like that's how good that team was. 2020 Florida, I just wanted to see that season finish, like, so badly, especially after the loss to Texas, especially after North Carolina cleaned their clock at the indoors. Like, indoors, do you yeah. remember watching Blumberg beat Crawford and being like, oh, my God, Will might be the 50th best player in the world right now. Like, if that's what he's going to do to Oliver Crawford, holy shit. And, like, we just didn't get to see what the bounce back would have looked like for that Florida team. Yeah, no, I totally agree. (laughs) That's one of the what ifs. Like, I'm not saying it's the it's college tennis's Monica Sellis, but it's pretty damn close. That's what I'll say. Um, all right, beyond that, we already talked about. But I 
I never answered your question. I'm sitting here. Did I ask a question? I don't even remember you, what it you was. Did. You, you, you asked me over under five and a half South Carolina preseason. Oh. I, I, if they have the entire team coming back, ah, I'm going to lean like five. So I'll say under. Okay. I like it. All right. With that in mind, Georgia, last one, who you look right now, projected rankings, Georgia number 10 in the projected rankings. They've got wins over Washington, big win over Texas, obviously, a win over South Carolina, win over Tennessee. They've still got Kentucky, Auburn, you know, good opportunities LSU left on the schedule. Top 16 clinched. Top eight? Is there a third top eight? So how many does the SEC get? Two or three? I think they get three in the end. Because Texas lost to Georgia. And Texas, like, that's the problem. Yeah, Florida and Tennessee. uh, Florida and Tennessee should should be in. Now, the the question comes into – because Tennessee, even though they're looking like the second team in the rankings, they're not going to be the two seed. So somebody, one of those teams, and let, let's say that we're talking, you know, obviously we're talking South Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky. Who, which one of, whichever one of those teams manages to get into that semi, if they make a final, for sure, it's a third team. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think we'll see Florida, Tennessee, and whoever makes it. If Florida and Tennessee make the final, ah, and somebody else, there's still going to be a big win for someone in that group of three to get into the semis because one of those teams has to lose in the quarters, uh, and that might be a good enough jump to get them there. Man, I don't know. I, I the jury's out. I'll say yeah. We we probably sneak just because there's three teams all with a chance one of them finds their way to to make a run and sneak in. Rank these resumes. Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan. Come the end of the season. Project them for me. I feel like Michigan might get boxed out by one. Like, because I'm doing it in my head. Ready? Baylor, TCU are probably going to be top eight teams. I think Ohio State is assured to be a top eight team. I think Florida is assured to be a top eight team. I think Tennessee, with their success through the national indoors, is assured to be a top eight team. So those are five locks. Competing for everything else, I think one of Virginia or Wake get it for sure. So that's six. I think, again, it's between the second ACC team, the fourth SEC team, and Michigan for that final eight spot. And, like, I know the Baylor, Ohio State, and TCU wins are really nice for Michigan, but, man, is the Big Ten thin after those top two, three schools, with all, especially with a down year or Indi- for Illinois results-wise. Like, I don't know if they're going to be able to bank the nine, even if their three wins might be the strongest. Well, look, Michigan has to not lose to anybody other than Ohio State. Sure. But even if they do that. And they're going to get them. And if they do that, they get them twice, right? Yeah. They get them once once more plus once in the tournament. They just need to split. Uh, But they they need to split, I think. Yeah, I think if they go if if they went out and go zero and two against Ohio State, it's it's still possible, but it gets it gets a little dicey because you're giving a lot of teams chances. You got the, all three of those SEC teams in South Carolina, Georgia, and Kentucky all nipping right at your heels, and someone's going to get at least one good win in the SEC tournament because the three of them have to fight for one spot in the in the uh, 
uh, or for two spots in the quarters, and then somebody could make finals. So yeah, I, that makes it tough. But well, but you I know what this Michigan proves is always though is that you got to make the national indoors because God does that help Kentucky, Georgia, South Carolina just to have those three more opportunities that Michigan did not have after their four three loss against Wake Forest. But we're sticking with the SEC and let's move beyond the contenders now. Let's talk about the women's teams that are right now inside the NCAA tournament cutoff line. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. Is, uh, wrong. is that cutoff line still 41 right now? It is. The cut line is 44. Okay. And and Vandy at 43 is yes. the last team in making so, nine SEC women's teams. So we talked about A&M, Georgia, Auburn, and Florida already. Joining them, 12-5 and five Arkansas, 29 in the projected rankings. Coach Sanchez-Quintanar has a freaking great team on her hands. And that 4-3 loss against Florida and, you know, indicative of— they've just played a lot of good matches. Tennessee— Played Texas A&M really, really tight, and I'm rocking a Lady Ball shirt right now. I should say, shout out to Coach Ojeda uh, for the gear. Uh, they're nine and six overall. That's a really freaking good team. They're extraordinarily depth from Martena to Molinaro and everything in between. Like I, if that that is one of your most dangerous number two seeds come the NCAA tournament. They're 32 right now. I think they're looking pretty comfortable. South Carolina's on the rise. Hamner, Ackley, your top two. They can beat anyone and they can find points elsewhere. They're 34. They're in. Here's where things get interesting. Vander, uh, Alabama, 41 overall, 13 and 6. Started things off very well with a win over Vanderbilt, but have kind of teetered since then. Vanderbilt, disastrous start for them, losing their first five, I believe, SEC matches. They've bounced back a little bit. 10-6 and six overall. They're 43 right now, just inside the cutoff line. Outside of that, Ole Miss is 8-8. Eight and eight. Mississippi State, 10-10. Ten and 10. Both those schools are scrappy. Kentucky's lost their first, I think, eight matches in conference play, and they're now 12-8 and eight overall, and they are probably out of NCAA contention. But it's worth mentioning Ole Miss 49, Mississippi State 62, Kentucky 64, Missouri probably out of it, 116 in the rankings, 6-14. and 14. They're just not going to finish over 500 even with a dramatic finish. LSU's the fascinating one to me because I know they're 4-9 overall. I'm telling you, I test-wise, I would put them above Alabama. As this version of LSU is better than Alabama, better than Vanderbilt, I think the results of late are indicative of that fact. You look for this LSU women's team, the momentum they've built uh, with a couple of results of late, and I don't want to get this incorrect uh, because, again, uh, having had the chance to broadcast a couple of their matches, they've played a bunch of competitive results uh, over the past couple of weeks, but in particular, after just not being able to field six players in the majority of their matches through the first two months, you look at how they've bounced back here in conference play. 4-3 win over Vanderbilt, 4-1 win over Kentucky, 4-1 win over Mississippi State. I thought they played Georgia really tough, taking the doubles point on the road there. I know they lost 7-0 to Tennessee, but don't let that result fool you. It was closer than that scoreline's indicative of. They've got Auburn left. They've got A&M left. They've got Arkansas left, Alabama as well, and Missouri Five matches left. They're not going 0-5. I mean, they're going to beat Missouri, but I think they're going to go 2-3. and three. They're going to beat one of Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, and A&M. Like, this team's got that sort of talent. Now, they're out of NCAA contention, but I just do want to point out that I think they, unfortunately, injuries bit them because I think that team's a lot better than the ranking. That said, I mean, as you look at this group, 
I think Vander. I, I do think South Carolina is again going to be a really dangerous three seed probably come the NCAA tournament. But how how worried should these teams be? For me, it's Vanderbilt's the one that I think could drop out because you look for the Commodores, and I apologize. I know I'm I'm saying a lot of things quickly here at people. Vanderbilt ten and six overall. You look at the matches that they've already lost to Alabama, to Arkansas, to Auburn. You know, those are ones you got to LSU. Uh, those are the ones you got to get because now coming up left, you know, again, Florida ranked higher than them. South Carolina ranked higher than them. At Tennessee ranked higher than them. At Georgia ranked higher than them. Yeah, they've got the Mississippis coming to town, but I don't know if that's enough ranking, if ranked wins. Like, they probably got to win one of their road matches either at, you know, LSE, or excuse me, uh, either at Tennessee, at Georgia, you know, South Carolina, Florida at home. They probably have to go at least two and two in that stretch. Yeah, I think it's very likely they drop out, right? They're like yeah. one spot in right now, but that's a, t- that's a tough schedule for them. Uh, granted, Yes, they finished with Mississippi State and Ole Miss that would be some decent point wins if they win at home, uh, as well as the upcoming match this weekend with with South Carolina at home. Florida would be a monstrous win if they could pull it off, but you expect them, yeah, at Tennessee, at Georgia, likely a couple losses. You never know the in-state rivalry, rivalry with Tennessee, but yeah, that's a tough, a very tough schedule for them. You're right, they are the team. I mean, being on the already on the cusp, very easy for them to fall out but at the same time again it's more about the wins than it is about the losses so if they pull off you know two good wins in there it's probably enough to keep them in mm-hmm. no and that's so that's again the goals in front of them they got to go two and two and look tomorrow they've got south carolina 2 p.m at home that's a must win match for Vanderbilt now. It's must win for South Carolina too, as they want to stay in contention and just solidify their spot, consolidate their spot in the rankings. Alabama's the tricky one as well, right? And they've got some tough ones left on the schedule too. Now, again, to get the win over Vanderbilt early in the season was big, but you know they've dropped a couple of late. I think, again, that South Carolina Vanderbilt could very well be a loser, go, loser goes home sort of match, but I think Alabama's in trouble I don't know which of these teams. Let's assume A and M, Georgia, Auburn, Florida, Arkansas, Tennessee are locks because I do think they are, and I think South Carolina is as well. To be honest, of Bama, Vandy, and the five teams right now outside of the list, how many in your estimation get in? I tell you what, I don't like. I don't particularly care for Alabama's chances. Yeah, there are a couple spots in the projected above Vandy, but but I mean they've got just as bad a gauntlet. They, except they've got a bunch of road. They've got at they're A&M, freaking at good Florida, though. They've got some at yeah, South Carolina. Exactly. And then they, and then their home matches Georgia at home. Okay, that's great. the problem. Is the home, schedule the, they beat a lot of the teams they needed, but they need to pretty much go undefeated through the first three weeks of conference play, and they didn't. And it's like now. It's gauntlet time. Yeah, now they're paying the price in yeah. the back end of the schedule. It's going to be really tough. I mean, and the problem is, like you said, that LSU team is much better than their 4-9 and nine record would indicate, and that's the match they've got coming up tomorrow, and it's at LSU. It's no gimme match. I mean, they could lose that match. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if they win it, on the flip side, heck, right now it's not even great points because LSU hasn't been able to work themselves up. So 
yeah, I think they're they're the team with the toughest road in front of them uh, in terms of securing that position. They're going to have to come up with a couple big wins. There, there's no coasting in for them. They've got to find a couple good wins down the stretch here over some good you know teams that they probably are underdogs against. Yeah, uh, it's again, it's going to be a really fun home stretch to this conference play because not only is the race up top fun, but certainly the race for the NCAA tournament very exciting as well. Slip gears, talk about the same version of this on the men's side. You look right now, and again, you can find the projected cutoff lines right now with NCAA projections on the College Tennis Ranks website. You look for the men right now, and we talked about those top five locks to be top 16. Texas A&M, 17 and 9, 23 in the projected rankings. They're getting in. Auburn, 15 and 4 overall on the men's side, 26 in the projected rankings. They're for sure getting in. After this, it gets interesting. LSU's 13 and 6, 35 in the country. I think their NCAA tournament good. I wouldn't want no part of them in the first round match, especially if they're a four seed, but they probably will end up as a three. I mean, Mississippi State, 37. I'll let you do that breakdown. Ole Miss, 40 at 11 and 9. Vanderbilt, some of the shine has come off. They've still played some really good matches, but, you know, fall short against Kentucky, 4-3, and, you know, drop a match against LSU as well. That was really, really tight. They're 14 and 6 overall, 43 right now, just under that cutoff line. You've got Arkansas at 10 and 10. They're number 52 in the rankings. Alabama, 6 and 14, just respectfully, probably out of contention at this point. Are the SEC men going to get all but two? Like, who's getting in? Who's out? Where are you at? Man, I, t- I tell you what, I'm really I'm, – it looks really good right now when you look at the cut. It says, it, you know, you see 11 out of 13 inside the cut line right now. The problem is you look at, you look at that and you go, well, Van- Vanderbilt, I mean, I, they're, they're right there one spot inside. You can't feel great. The two right in front of them – are the two Mississippi schools, they're actually the two I'm worried more about even than Vanderbilt because neither one of those schools, when when you look at the point wins, Mississippi State's got basically four quality wins. Ole Miss has three. Uh They're both very, very short on, on wins. And as we start expanding the number that count, we're up to eight next week and nine the following week. You know, and, and and you look at what they're counting right now, and, and Mississippi State, I, I say they have four quality wins, then one 10-pointer, which is eh. And then everything else after that is unranked. They're using unranked wins. Generally, teams that are using, unra- you know, wins over teams outside the top 125 in their rankings don't make the cut. So it's going to be very tough for them. They get the benefit of beating with wins over Memphis and Middle Tennessee early uh to to kind of boost them but their stretch run i mean both old miss and mississippi state those these stretch runs for them they have to come up with some sec wins uh, over teams that will offer points to them because they they just don't have uh, you know wins being counted right now so while it says 11 right now i i don't see 11 making it um i'm i'm a little worried that you know, and, and Mississippi State and Ole Miss still have to play, so somebody's got to lose that match. I'm a little worried we may see, you know, two of those three drop, uh, which would which would be a shame, and we may end up at nine. But not, you know, the question is nine and a half. Is the over under is it nine or is it ten? I don't know. I, I would almost lean that we might lose two and go to nine at this point. But we'll we'll see what these teams do. Somebody, if one of if one of them can come up. Like if Mississippi State come with a big win over on the road at Auburn this weekend, they're in. But that's a big ask. 
Yeah. I mean, I think you look for all these. Well, how good is Ole Miss in your estimation? I don't. I don't think. I mean, they're deserving of where they're at in the rankings. I, I mean, I think they're they're a bubble a bubble team. Uh, you know, and, and frankly, I, I put right there with Mississippi State. Neither neither one of the two teams has proven this year that you know they haven't been able to come up with, but you know, uh, a handful both. You know, like I said, three and four between them, quality wins. They're just, you know, they get the benefit of being in the SEC, but that's only if they actually manage to win a couple SEC matches that offer them points, and they haven't done it yet. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're that. I don't think they're that great. I like the one thing I like about Ole Miss is the fact that they've got guys with experience down low. When you're playing Yunk and Hain down at the bottom of the lineup, and they've been there, it's it feels like it should be better than it is, but it's just not. You know, they haven't put the results up. So Vanderbilt, it's very new, right? I think they're very good in doubles. I think it's still trying to figure out, okay, who, which of these singles guys are locks? Where should we feel most comfortable? I think it's, you know, can be a little bit every other day. Ole Miss is almost, again, like I don't feel bad about any of Ole Miss's six single spots. I just don't feel great about any of them either. Like you're just like, yeah, right. they could win there. They could win there. They could also lose there. Like that's my problem with Ole Miss because as you keep going up Mississippi State – I mean, you know, give me flow at one. I feel good about flow in every matchup we're going into. Not saying he's going to win everything, but he's certainly not losing. And they've just got some more options. I think with LSU, you're going to get a win. You know, three and four, you're winning one of those matches. Diaz and Hunter have been that good. You're probably going to get, you know, Homan's going to be one of Homan or Kozlov probably going to win on the day in the top or bottom as well. You know, Auburn, as you move up, it gets better and better. Let's talk about this A&M team quickly as well. Boy, they may not be a year away, but I think they're two years away at a minimum, like at, at a maximum, Chris, from being a top 10 team again and being in the hunt for quarterfinals, semifinals, because, I mean, Casper at six legit is legit. Perego is just the real deal as the freshman can hit. The, he just has the forehand, has the weapons. Perego's playing one on that team in two years. Well, the thing is, there's everyone's no doubt, back no next doubt year. In my mind. They bring back everyone next say, season i mean ne- next year next year it's it's Shakhtar one perego two the following year perego's playing one that kid is good i mean there's no doubt that's that's where he's going uh i mean barring you know who knows what bad things could happen but but yeah he's good you got you've got the whole team back i still think they need to add, you know which i'm sure they will they need to add a little more but yes a, a young team that brings everybody back and some super young guys with freshmen like Perego and Casper to build on great a great core to build on for that team and and it's not like oh this is all we're going to have for the next four years you know they're going to add more yeah it's it's again they've got a good recruiting class coming in this year as well coach Denton's got himself a squad and so be on the lookout for this A&M team not only could I see them upsetting someone and get into a sweet 16 I could see them you know again a year or two from now being the hosts and doing the punishment dictating it all out getting to final sites that's it's a fun group again yeah it's a it's not quite the highs of last season, but you can see there's something special. I think that's what's made this season fun if you're an Aggie fan. I mean, with that said, again, I think LSU is really sneaky good. 
I think Auburn, I want to see more from them, and they've certainly got some big matches left on their calendar. They played Kentucky so tight on the road, and so I want to see them get more shots at the big dogs. Uh, any other thoughts on the, on the men's side as you look at these teams? Are we missing anything? Arkansas is really good for 10 and 10. Yeah, the, you know, the, the question Arkansas, is... Does Arkansas finish be, third in the Big Ten? No. Northwestern behind North, Behind Northwestern. They beat Illinois, though? Yeah, okay. I'm not going to touch that. Um, no, although I it's an SEC not, show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's a, it's not been a great year in Champaign. So yeah, no. I think that I think that's that's the level. Like Illinois, Arkansas would be right mm-hmm. right on that same level, fighting each other from you know in in and around that four spot. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's look at what's ahead on this uh, weekend of play on the SEC schedule. And of course, we've got the action here on Friday. There's action happening on Sunday as well. We can start uh, with the Friday action, Chris. You look on the women's side, obviously that headliner, Auburn versus A&M. We're going to have that match 6 p.m. Eastern time. You look uh, beyond that. Georgia's at Missouri, Florida at Kentucky, a match that was certainly more interesting a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, beyond that, Alabama at LSU. That's a must win for Alabama, but a match I would favor LSU in. I'm telling you, by, via the eye test. Uh, South Carolina at Vanderbilt, another must win probably for both teams. Tennessee at Arkansas. If you want any shot at a top 16 seed, you got to win that match for both schools. Fun day on the women's side. Men's side, LSU at Florida. Uh, you've got Arkansas at Tennessee. You've got Georgia at Ole Miss. Vandy at South Carolina. You know, A&M's got a double, you know, A&M's at Alabama, which is the only reason they don't have a doubleheader on Friday, but that's the Coach Denton specialty. Mississippi State at Auburn as well. Really fun Friday. Uh, You look at the Sunday matches, Vanderbilt at men's side, I'll go first this time. Vanderbilt at Florida, LSU at Georgia, Kentucky at, you know, if I'm looking at the headliners this weekend, let's just go to that. Kentucky at South Carolina, certainly. That's the big one. Yeah, yeah on the men's side. On the women's side, AM taking on Auburn. And Auburn, then yeah. I would say the second-tier matches would be that Vanderbilt-South Carolina match because if it's important to Vanderbilt. Alabama-LSU I'd throw on there as well. Mississippi State-Auburn's an interesting one. That's probably the undercard on Friday, right? And then on the men's side on Sunday, that undercard, I don't know, maybe. Oh, AM at Auburn. That's a fascinating one. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and from the men's side, like I said, you know, the the Mississippi schools just have to find some wins. So Mississippi State at Auburn, big match. I, for once, I think it's actually a much more critical match for Mississippi State than it is for Auburn. Auburn's sitting okay, even with a loss for the for the tournament. Mississippi State's, you know, if they don't find something, is on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, it's tough. I agree. It's it's really is going to be fascinating uh, to see where all this action unfolds because these teams have beaten up on one another, and sometimes that's a good thing. Certainly for us fans, it is. Come NCAA tournament time, you're like, oh, can we just let these teams win and you all suffer and the conference is better for it? 
Not the case this year. Parody is the name of the game, and that is play in, in the SEC. And again, we're going to have all of Friday's action broadcasted for you. You can find those broadcasts on the team website. St- action starts at noon. Last match at, goes on 7 p.m. Eastern time. Hope you'll join us uh, throughout the day as, again, should be a very fun day of college action. Of course, if you're looking for other storylines in the college tennis world, tune in to the deciding points. We talk about the women 9 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays. Talk about the men 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursdays. Those are live on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel or on the Great Shot podcast the next day. Uh, shout out, as always, by the way, to super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos and who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out to you, Chris Hallyhorst, as well. You gave me two and a half hours of podcasting tonight, and I didn't pay you a dime. So I'm, as always, immensely grateful. Any final thoughts on the SEC before we wrap this show? I know. I think we've covered it all. Isn't it fun when we can just dive in on one conference? Yeah, we, yeah, we should do one. You know, I, I say we should do it when, when I don't have a real job. We should yeah. do one of these on every conference. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. When we get to do these, this feels like the olden podcast that we got to do, where it's like, hey, I'm going to pick these random topics and we're just going to go through it. And this feels like one of our olden day shows when we didn't have obligations to every school. When we could just be like, this is what I want to talk about, and it's like. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying this is what I want to talk about, being the SEC, but it's just nice to get to nerd out and get to go into... Honestly, I'm just really enjoying the projected rankings. I've had so much fun with the what-if calculator of late. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you like it. <laughs> yeah, so with that said, for my fantastic co-host Chris Halley or super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, who, again, you can contact by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. From all of us here at both Track Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, as always, Chris. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.